out equivocation, yes, that includes you, and we're really glad that you are here. Uh, now, we've uh, got a few things going on in the life of our church that I want to let you know about, but I always, always, always forget the offering. Like, I completely forgot the offering last service, which is not good if you're a nonprofit. Um, so if you'd like to make an offering, I'll give you a chance to do that. Our greeters will pass the baskets around. You can always give online, too, uh, but please know that we did not uh, create a space like this so that we could get your money. Um, this is just a meaningful way that some of us get to participate in this church life together, though. So that's going on. Uh, the people who are passing those baskets around are our greeter team. Now, if you've been here a little bit, you know that if you've been here more than once, you are a greeter. Yeah, there's like a third of us who get that today. Um, so we have this shared ownership, all of us in this church, we try to own together the responsibility of welcoming one another, but <clears throat> it is so important that we do that, that we've got a team that specializes in it. It's the people who are passing the baskets around right now, who wear the lanyards, and uh, we'd like to invite you into that team. Maybe you've been wondering, how do I take another step into the life of this community? Is there some next thing that I could do to be more involved and more connected? The greeter team is a great way to do that. It's kind of a low bar, doesn't require much from you, but it means getting to the gathering time a little bit early and being part of a scheduled team and showing up when you're scheduled. And it means um, knowing a few things about how we welcome one another and how we make this a safe place. The good news is a week from tomorrow is uh, a sort of greeter training night. So this is a really good time to jump in on the greeter thing. Uh, if you sign up right now, you can go to the website, southandcitychurch.com, uh, go to the menu, go to volunteer, and you'll see an option to let us know that you want to be in the greeter team. And if you do that, we'll give you the details about our training night a week from tomorrow. And it's just like custom made for you to step into that. So we wanted you to know about it. Uh, also going on in the life of our church is baptism. It's our first uh, time gathering around baptism, and it's next week, and we're really excited about it. Um, it means a lot to us, which is why we've spent the last several weeks talking about what that symbol means, what that experience means for our church. And so uh, if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, but you're curious about that, you can always go to the podcast and listen to the episodes of South and City Church on your favorite podcast app. Um, but baptism's happening next week, and maybe you've been listening, maybe you've been discerning that that's the next step that you're going to take, um, which is really beautiful, and we're cheering for you. But maybe you have some questions, or maybe you're not sure if it's the next step for you, but something's been getting stirred up. Uh, we want to make ourselves available to talk with you about that. So our pastors, Dan, uh, the music man, Dan and Ryan and I are all going to be available after this gathering time behind that curtain over there. And uh, if you want to ask a question, or if you want to just sign up in person rather than signing up online, uh, whatever you want to do with that, we'll be there for you for baptism. Um, and then today, uh, as we prepare for baptism, uh, at the centerpiece of this service is Eucharist, or Jesus' table, or communion. So this will happen a little later in our time, but let me kind of talk you through the mechanics of it right now, just so that we don't have to get bogged down in that later. Uh, first of all, if you're wondering if, if you belong at this table, uh, for our community, we're very clear that anybody who wants to be at the table with Jesus is welcome at the table with Jesus. Um, regardless of like whatever you walked in with, or even like what kind of beliefs you may bring to that experience, if you want to be at the table with Jesus, we are honored to welcome you side by side with us at the table with Jesus. Uh, when we do that, uh, you'll, you'll go to one of the corners where we'll have people set up to serve, and uh, you'll just uh, hold out an open hand. You don't have to take anything or grab anything, just hold out an open hand, and somebody will take a piece of uh, gluten-free, dairy-free, egg-free, nut-free, everything-free bread, and, uh, and put it in your hands so you don't have to worry about any kind of allergies or whatever. And you'll just receive that. And they'll look you in the eye and they'll remind you the body of Christ broken for you. Hold on to it for a moment and just take a step to your right and there'll be a cup held out to you. And they'll remind you the blood of Christ shed for you. And you can take that bread and dip it in that cup and then take and eat and be grateful. The cup, by the way, uh, again, because we're just so obsessed with including everyone at the table. It's just grape juice, no alcohol. Just, uh, it's something that um, is available for everyone no matter where you're coming from or what you're dealing with. 
and we're looking forward to welcoming you at the table. Sound good? Come on, 11 o'clock. I hold you to a, I hold you to a higher standard because you've had some time for coffee. And I have to apologize, by the way, this thing that's going around that's like assaulting people's sinuses and throats and all that, it hit me like three days ago. My lymph nodes are the size of golf balls, and I'm going to sip coffee while I talk to you. Is that okay? Okay, thanks, Mom. Uh, that joke never gets old. I'm sorry, Mom. Awesome. Well, let me review where we've been. Um, we're talking about at the center of baptism, at the center of this community uh, is Jesus, and it's the good word that Jesus proclaims, a good word, good news, or gospel. And we've been working really methodically through this word because I know that if, you have, if you've had some bad religion in your background, this word may drag up some bad stuff. Um, this may be a word that's been used against you. Um, maybe it's been um, sort of energized out of a preacher or a religious setting that was afraid of the scarcity of God or that felt like God's fundamental disposition towards you was anger or wrath. And uh, we've been looking at this word and just asking, like, what's actually happening in this word? Uh, early on, we discovered that it, it has roots all the way back in the Hebrew scriptures, so that when Jesus talks about gospel or good news, when Paul, one of the writers of the New Testament, talks about gospel or good news, they're not starting from scratch. They've got some background on it, like the story of the Israelites who are in exile and who are wondering how they will ever find their way home. It's a word for people who wonder if they can ever come home, if they can ever return to who they were meant to be, to the life that they were called, to the place that they want to be, and you find yourself far away from all that. This is a word for people who are looking to find their way home, and it's a word that says God is with you, like God wants to walk you home. God wants to welcome you home, and when you get worn out on the walk home, he will strengthen you for that journey. And it's a word that comes not just uh, from the scriptures that precede the New Testament, the writers of the story of Jesus, but it's also a word that comes from the world around the New Testament, uh, where people were asking questions of government and politics and military and religion, and everywhere they looked, they were basically asking, how does a world that is breaking get put back together? How does a world that's falling apart, where the, the sharp edges of that broken world are breaking themselves against us and wounding us, how does that world get put back together and held together in peace? And so when Jesus stands up and talks about gospel and when Paul talks about the gospel, they're, they're bringing all of that to mind. It's a word for people who are wondering how the broken world will be put back together, held together in peace. So we've been moving toward that, um, and we've been hearing Jesus talk about the kingdom of God which he has the audacity to suggest is available in the here and now for anybody who wants to be a part of it. We've been hearing all of that, and then next week baptism is a way that, that many will respond to all of that. So this is like the final sermon before it, which like, like my preacher's impulse is like bring the barn burner, you know what I mean? Like, like seal the deal, close the sale, which I hate those actual metaphors for this kind of thing, but like there's that kind of energy, right? Like let's just like drive this thing home. But that's not what we're gonna do today because um, rather than like a gospel sermon, the centerpiece today is a gospel meal. Um, because there's some preaching in the New Testament and Jesus does some teaching and the followers of Jesus, they stand up and they do some teaching. But it seems that one of the more transformative things that Jesus did with people was eat with them and share a meal with them, like open up his table to them. And that that was how, that was how they began to be awakened to who he was and what he was doing. So today, before we do baptism next week, uh, we come to a gospel meal. And I just want to talk a little bit about what this means as it, as it brings the language of gospel into this experience. Um, one of the places where we read uh, about this being established for the followers of Jesus, this meal, is in the book of Luke, chapter 22. Um, this, is, uh, this is just before Jesus will be dragged away to his execution, just before he will be betrayed, 
just before it will look like the movement that is flourishing with his leadership, just before it looks like it's run into a dead end, right? Uh, it's right before all of that happens in his crucifixion, but this is Luke 22, and Jesus is with his friends. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. There's that word again, that promise that the kingdom of God is breaking in. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. Now, time out here. I remember reading this passage when I was younger, and, uh, and, and I was like, like a little embarrassed for Luke because it's bad writing because there's a redundancy in the cup thing. Did you notice that? Like he took the cup and they took the bread and then he took the cup and I was like, oh, that's sad. He didn't have a good editor. <laughs> I mean, that's actually like originally like it, something about this rubbed me the wrong way. It was like a weird repetition in the text. One thing, by the way, side note, one thing you'll learn is that when you're reading the Bible, the things that sort of seem like they don't quite fit, the things that kind of catch your attention, that's almost always a good sign that you should press in and ask more questions because sometimes that's where the really good stuff is happening. And this is one of those moments where uh, readers have noticed this and there's, there's something going on here that we can learn um, from the history of this particular meal that they're sharing together. Uh, this is a Jewish meal called Passover, and we'll talk more about what Passover is, but this is like a scripted meal. This isn't just friends sitting together kind of making it up as they go along. This is a meal that these people would gather around once a year, and it had a, a liturgy or a ritual that described the shape of it as you moved through that night. Um, there were different things that you would eat and drink at different times and different uh, sort of questions that you would throw out to the table that would be responded to to tell the story that's being relived in the Passover. And so one of the things that we learned from ancient Jewish sources that surround this time and place is that when Jesus and his friends sit down for a Passover meal, they would have grabbed the cup four different times. And each time they grab the cup brings with it a different uh, movement in the ritual or a different question that would be asked. And this is the second time that the cup is grabbed, which means there would be a question in play. So as Jesus reaches for that cup the second time, all of his good Jewish friends there, they would know this is the moment in the Passover meal when we ask one particular question. And the question is, what makes this night different from the rest? What makes this moment different from the rest? What makes this experience different from the rest? And ordinarily, there, there would be a, a, a scripted, ritualized answer to that question. I'll get to that in a moment. But there they are around a table, and the question is, what, what's going on here that we need to pay attention to? Now, first of all, we could just observe that this is a meal. And meals are the kinds of things that we have so frequently that it's really easy to miss what's going on in a meal. But let's just do a little bit of thinking together about this for a bit. Like, if you don't eat, if you stop eating and you continue to not eat, you won't make it very long, right? There's a thing called reality that you will run into. You have a body. That body needs calories to come into it. And yeah, you could fast for a bit. You might have a few pounds that you could afford to shed. But at some point, your body needs the nutrients and the calories to simply endure. And if you don't eat, you will end, <laughs> right? I know this is basic. But think about what that means, that like every day, three times, four or five times in my kind of day, like we sit down and we actually enact this thing, we embody this thing that, that like is saying as we do it that we are vulnerable. 
that, that we have needs, that we can't sort of sustain ourselves from within ourselves forever, right? Uh, this, this is always present in our eating, but sometimes it, it asserts itself in a way that it sort of comes up from under the surface and we see it again. When I was in middle school, um, I had one of these experiences. So I get home from, uh, from school one day, and my brother and I can tell that my mom um, has been crying. And we ask what's going on, and she tells us that um, a biopsy had come back um, and that she had breast cancer. I think it's seventh grade for me. Um, and you know, you're seventh grade, and like, you hear that very scary word associated with one of the people in your life who's consistent, you know? And I know not all of us um, come from family experiences like this, but when family is what it, what, it, what it ought to be, what we want it to be, your parents are two of the sort of early indicators of anything stable in your life, right? You can rely on them. They provide for you. They love you. They don't hurt you. Like when, when, things, when family is what you would want it to be, it's sort of your first experience of anything dependable or reliable in the world. That's good, and it's good toward you, right? And then you're, you're in seventh grade, and you find out that one of these people, one of these sort of intimate experiences of some good, some good toward you, some reliability, that there's a threat against that person. So, of course, it, like, shakes you, right? And so you, we go through the, the doctor's diagnosis, and we go through um, discussions about treatment options, and then the decision that my mom will have a surgery to remove the cancer, and, uh, and then the day of the surgery to remove the cancer. Now, the good news is uh, doctors found the cancer really early, so it was contained uh, to that part of her body, and it wasn't in the lymph nodes, and it didn't require chemo and radiation and that kind of stuff. So it was a simple, in a sense, a simple surgery uh, to take care of it. And yet it was a, it was a surgery. And so I, I remember um, from the diagnosis to the day of the surgery, there's all of this like, dark and scary stuff bubbling up inside, like what happened for any child whose parent has cancer. There's fear and anger and frustration and confusion and isolation and all this stuff, right? It's bubbling up inside, but, um, but it's also sort of like contained right there, you know? Uh, sometimes we do this intentionally. Sometimes some part of our brain does it, maybe accidentally to protect ourselves, but it's all sort of like tucked away right there, and, and I feel sort of protected from all of that stuff inside me. And then there's the day when my mom has the surgery, and then uh, my grandfather, who's in town to help take care of uh, my mom and all of us while that's happening, he picks me up from the house and he drives me to the hospital so I can go visit my mom while she's in recovery. And I remember walking into the room and seeing my mom in the hospital bed. And my grandpa lingers for a moment and then he leaves so that I can just have some one-on-one -on -one time with my mom. And while I'm in there, uh, one of the hospital workers brings in her, her meal, her lunch on a tray. And it's one of those tables, you know, that kind of slides over the hospital bed and makes it really easy except that the nature of my mom's surgery meant that she couldn't really lift her arm uh, to feed herself. And so I remember my mom just asking if I could feed her. And I so clearly remember that being the moment that just broke me. It wasn't the diagnosis, it wasn't the doctor's words, it wasn't all the conversations around treatment, it wasn't the days that we prayed together, it was actually the meal that broke me and I've reflected on that a lot over the years, and I think it's because in our eating, whether we realize it or not, we are enacting our vulnerability, right? Like something is laid bare when we eat a meal. Because if we don't eat our meals, we will end. So every time we eat, we are opening our bodies and taking something in and enacting some kind of vulnerability. I suspect this is why Jesus uses meals so subversively in his story in the Gospels. I mean, he, he wields meals like they're energized, like they're powerful. So it's through a meal that he includes all the wrong people 
people. And it's because of the meals that he has with all the wrong people that the enemies of his movement come against him. They criticize him. They don't like it. There's something really problematic about the way that Jesus eats his meals, which if there's nothing going on in a meal, then it shouldn't matter. But there's so much going on in a meal, so it matters. And Jesus seems to know this. He seems to know it um, incisively. He seems to have a very clear sense that when we eat together, something powerful is happening. We are declaring our vulnerability, and that vulnerability is being met with something good, with bread and wine and other people around the table. So what's going on in this moment? Well, they're having a meal together, which is no small thing. Now, they're not just having a meal together, though. They're having a Passover meal. So Passover meal uh, captures this experience of the Israelites in their past, and it brings it into their present every time they return to that meal. Now, the, the Passover experience is when the Israelites find themselves far from home. The thing is, they didn't even know where home was. This is before they've been given the land that they would eventually call their home. This is before they get liberated and led to that place. All they know is that they're in a place where they don't get to call it home. They're in a place where they don't get to be themselves, where their identity has been robbed from them. They've been enslaved. They've been trapped. They've been beaten. They've been abused. They're being used. They're being commodified. They aren't who they are meant to be. They aren't where they're supposed to be. And the sense of, of like this need to get liberated from that place starts stirring up inside the people, and they cry out, and God liberates them. He does powerful stuff to confront their oppressors and get them out of that place, to lead them to a new place that they will begin to call home. So this isn't just a meal, it's a Passover meal. It's specifically a homecoming meal. Passover is a meal for anyone who's ever found themselves far away from home and wondered if God will help you come back. Passover meal is a homecoming meal. And Jesus has them gathered there and they ask, What's so special about this night? What's happening in this moment? But it's not just that it's a meal, and it's not just that it's a Passover meal, because he's about to respond to that question with something unexpected. He's about to sort of ratchet things up to a whole new degree. So let's, uh, let's go back like a sentence here and then see what Jesus does. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and this is the moment when they're all, they know the script. What's happening in this moment? Why is this night different? But then he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And so for everyone who's there at a homecoming meal with Jesus and they wonder what's so different about this meal, he says, this meal actually represents the gift of myself. This represents the generosity of God, that God would give God's self to the world. Not just that you are given good gifts, not just that you wake up on any given day and there's enough food in the pantry or enough love in your life or whatever, but that that somehow there's an animating energy behind every good thing, which is God who gives God's self to you. And in this like visceral, intense, embodied and fleshed way, God gives God's self to the world by dying. This makes us a very different kind of meal. This is a meal for anyone who wonders if they could come home who wonders when they do come home, will God, be, will God be generous toward you when you get there? Or will God um, be withholding? Will God sit back and, and make you fight for it, make you earn it, make you prove it? Will God um, force you to rehearse all the steps that you took to leave home? Will God rub it in, put salt in the wounds that you sustained while you were far away? What is God like? And the answer here is God, God will not be withholding. God will be so unendingly generous. 
so expansively generous that you'll never have to wonder if he welcomes you at the table. Jesus tells stories about a God, a character, a father who welcomes a wayward son and makes an irresponsible feast for this child who's come home. This child who thinks maybe if I walk back I can become a servant in my father's house. And God doesn't speak of that at all. The father character, he just immediately, he just, he turns toward invitation and blessing and celebration. This is a homecoming meal for anyone who wonders whether God will be generous to you when you come home. And at this table, the answer is yes, you have no idea. Now, um, the last few weeks as we've been talking about gospel and good news, we've talked a lot about coming home. But we've also talked about the world being put back together. We've talked about um, a world that is breaking again and again and, and how we wonder what it is, that will, what way will put the world back together? What way of being human is the, is the most um, appropriate response to a world that is breaking? And Jesus is saying a lot about that too. He's inviting us into a way of being healed and moved out into the world that will put the world back together. And this isn't just a homecoming meal. This is a peacemaking meal too. Uh, when, when, the, when the tradition of Jesus has always been most clear-minded and at its best, it's recognized that this table calls us to peacemaking in the world, too. It's almost like, like in the long journey of peacemaking, it's like a meal of sustenance. It's like, a, it's like a third quarter break in the game of peacemaking to fill us up and strengthen us and renew us again. Uh, University of Chicago researchers uh, performed a project where they were trying to understand what happens when we eat meals together. So they establish a little experiment. Uh, they do this with, I, if I read it correctly, um, over a thousand different study participants. And in each iteration of the study, they pair up two people. And they set those two people on opposite sides of a negotiation. And they create a hypothetical situation like, okay, uh, Joe, you represent management. Jill, you represent labor. And there's a wage dispute. And now you've got to work out this dispute. You've got to come to the table with proposals, negotiate, go back, come to the table and do these rounds of negotiation until you can settle the dispute. So with thousands of iterations and three different scenarios, this pattern emerges. In one scenario, both, uh, both negotiators, they have nothing to eat. They're just at the table for a meeting with no food. In the second scenario, negotiator A is eating salty food of some sort that's quite obviously different than negotiator B who's eating sweet food of some sort. So it's like pretzels and donuts or something like that. But in in scenario C, in the third scenario, they have both negotiators eating the same food. Now watch this. This is good data, good research. In scenario C, where both researchers are eating the same, or both uh, participants are eating the same food, it takes half as many rounds of negotiation on average to reach an amicable agreement. Uh, 3.6 average rounds when they're eating the same food, 7.6 average rounds when they're eating different food or not sharing food at all. Like right there in empirical form, something happens when we share a meal. We seem to move toward one another when we share a meal. We seem to be a a little more concerned about the needs of the other when we share a meal. And I I wonder if it goes back to that vulnerability. Uh, The researchers, they hypothesize here that uh, somewhere in our sort of social evolutionary past, our brains develop some structures that first of all understand that food's really, 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 really important. Right? Which is why even in the year 2017, like going to the grocery store on an empty stomach is a bad idea and you will make bad decisions and that sleeve of Oreos that I keep talking about will show up again, right? 
Like, there's, there's that animal part of our brain that just moves toward calories and food and all of that, that knows that we need it, knows it's important. It can take over some of our higher functions, right? There's also the fact that, that in that sort of um, history of human experience, it's possible that, that food could be a threat to you. So you need food, you're vulnerable without food, but the wrong kind of food can take you down. Like some berries on a bush that caveman finds in the forest, right? If it's the wrong kind of food, you've opened yourself up to risk. But there you are at a table with somebody else and you are sharing your vulnerability and you are both meeting that vulnerability with the same thing. And somehow in that moment, we move toward each other. We, we stop grandstanding, we stop sticking our heels in the dirt, we move toward each other when we share a meal. And I suspect Jesus knows this too, when he says that at the center of all of this good news, all this gospeling, all of this good word that I wanna put in the world, there's a gospel meal that you will share together. And it will welcome you home if you wonder if there's room for you at the Father's table. And then it will fill you up and fuel you and send you out into the world a little, a little more compassionate toward your neighbor who might have been at the table with you. The neighbor who looks different, who believes different, who lives different, a little more compassionate that, that underneath the differences there are these deep vulnerabilities that we share. These deep hungers that drive all of us. And if we share those things, then perhaps we can move toward each other. And this could be not just a homecoming meal, but a peacemaking meal. So before we go to baptism, we come to Jesus' table for a homecoming and a peacemaking. Uh, there's a writer who I love named Sarah Miles, and uh, she writes a memoir called Take This Bread. And uh, in it, she describes uh, a season in her life. She, uh, atheist, doesn't believe in God. Um, she's a journalist. She's living in the Pacific Northwest, and one morning, she and her partner get in a fight. And so she leaves the house and goes on a walk to blow off some steam. And on that walk, she walks the same neighborhood that she walks often, and she has that kind of journalist's eye, inquisitive about everything. She describes herself as nosy. Uh, but on this particular walk, she, instead of walking by this old church building that she had walked by uh, so many times, she decides to go into it. And in the book, um, she says that they are, they are coming around the table for this meal that Jesus provides. And again, she, she, she isn't like talked into it, coerced into it. It's not an argument or a a duel of beliefs, she simply comes to this table and the way she says it in the book is that Jesus happened to me at the table. And it was a real turning point in her life. Uh, I love Sarah's story, it really moves me. Um, not only does she have a homecoming moment at Jesus' table, but the next thing that happens is it propels her into a certain kind of peacemaking, a certain kind of putting the world back together through food and, uh, and mercy and compassion in her neighborhood. But I don't want to tell the rest of her story. I'd rather you just hear it from her. Uh, so we found a short film uh, where Sarah Miles tells her own story of homecoming and peacemaking around the table of Jesus, and we want to share this with you. So I'll go ahead and ask those who are going to serve us to come forward to the stage so I can serve them. But let me just remind you um, that on that night at that table with his friends, they sat down for a meal where all their vulnerabilities were present and Jesus knew it. And speaking into those vulnerable places, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And in that moment when his friends were asking, what's different about this moment? What is happening right now? He took a cup and he said, this is the cup of a new covenant forged in my blood. 
And they would slowly begin to understand that God was not just giving good gifts to the world, but God was giving God's self to the world. So for everyone who wonders if they can find their way home, they would discover a generous God welcoming them. And for everyone who wonders if the world would be put back together, they would discover a generous God who is leading us in the way of true peace. So we come today to a table. I'll pray over these elements and then I'll serve those who will serve you. And then I'll welcome you to the table. God, we pray today that this would be for us the body and blood of Christ. And in some way that we can't fully fathom, we trust that we will meet you in this meal. I pray for the brave and the fearful, for the strong and the vulnerable, for the faith-filled and the doubt-filled, and the ways that all of those things are swimming around inside of all of us, that you would help us to bring all of ourselves to the table to meet you giving all of yourself to us calling us home and sending us into the world in the way of peace. God, we thank you for this good word, for this gospel, for this good news and the way that we meet it in this meal. We pray through Christ. Amen. And so now for all of us, uh, for anybody who feels far from home, come to the table. For everybody who wonders how the world might be put back together and held in peace, come to the table. For anybody who wonders if God is generous toward you or withholding from you, come to the table and discover the gift of God who gives God's self. And uh, we'll welcome one another at this gospel meal. Um, As you're able, as you'd like, you can stand to your feet and you can go to any of the corners and to receive communion. So next week, uh, we'll welcome uh, people into the water of baptism. Um, if that's something you want to explore a little bit, like I said, Dan and Ryan and I will all be uh, behind the curtain over there after the service if you want to talk to us for a bit, if you have questions. It's just come to my attention. There might be like a bit of a bug with the online sign-up. So uh, if for some reason you tried to sign up and had a problem with that, don't, I promise we'll still let you in the pool, okay? Um, the sign-ups just kind of give us a rough number. So if for some reason that doesn't work, still come ready and we'd love to welcome you. Uh, we also have some information around the curtain there that might be helpful to you if you want to be baptized next week. Um, I think that's it. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine a more uh, cherished experience than being at the table with this family. So thank you for being here. Oh, this is the other thing I was going to say. Um, cold meds are kicking in hard. Um, I, I performed a wedding ceremony uh, on Thursday, and a gentleman came out to me after the ceremony. He's been married 30 years, and he just remarked on how, you know, watching the, these new vows being made renewed something in him in his marriage, and that's often been the experience of the church around baptism, and so it's as much for any one of us who perhaps has that experience in our past to come and sort of like receive the sacrament of baptism through watching our brothers and sisters experience it for the very first time. So lest you think that this is just for the people in the pool, um, this is sort of the sacrament for all of us as a community. And so we put a lot of importance on it. So we're looking forward to it. And let me conclude uh, the way we often do. Let me look you in the eye as I say, grace and peace be with you. And also with you. Amen. Love you guys. See you very soon.